It, it is, uh, we've been working our way through 1 John, I think this is week 3 or 4. We come today to chapter 2, and I'm going to read in just a second from verse 3 to 14. Uh, but first, let me pray once again. Living God, Lord Jesus, light of the world, we pray that your light would shine into our hearts afresh now from your word, that by your spirit you would give us understanding. And if we're yours, real confidence in you. And if not, that you would pour your light into our hearts in such a way that we come to know you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me read them from verse 3 of chapter 2 of 1 John. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Be a great help to me, and I hope to you, if you keep that open in front of you, there's also an outline of the sermon on the back of the notice sheet that may be of some help. Now, if you've, um, if you've ever been a part of a group that splits for any reason, you'll know that it can be really unsettling. A, a friend was working in a restaurant, maybe you've been in, in a similar experience, and first a chef left the team and went to work for a competitor, then a supervisor went, and then a, a barman and a waiter, I think, and they were all saying, oh, this new place is so much better. And for those who stayed behind, they were thinking, is there something we're missing? Are we missing out by not doing the same? It can happen in a school, your kids are in a year group, first one parent uh, pulls their child out, then another, then another to go to a different school, and you cannot help but ask yourself, are we missing something? Surely there's no smoke without fire, should we be making a change as well? Uh, I was in a church once, one person left, then another, and another, and all of those who left were talking down the church that they were leaving, and talking up all of the, the freedom and joy that they were having in the new place they were going. And all the people left behind were really confused. What is going on? Are we missing out on something that God is offering? Or maybe you've heard a, a church leader 
And uh, they tell you that they used to believe, they used to teach the things that the Bible says. They've worked out they were being naive. They've found a, a new and, and higher freedom and truth now away from the teaching of the Bible. And so now they spend their time deconstructing the faith that you still believe. And they're intelligent and they're charming and you discover there's a whole heap of them doing exactly the same thing online and reinforcing what each other are saying. And you can't help but wonder, can I be sure that I am believing the right things? That the things that I've, I've pinned my eternal destiny on are the truth of God? Or could it be that I'm missing out? Uh, that is the, the world of one John. There's a, a group who have left the church. We've been calling them the leavers. They're claiming to have this deeper knowledge, this richer anointing from God, this victory over sin. Somehow sin doesn't matter anymore. The remainers are left unsettled. Have they found something that we're missing out on? Do we maybe not know God after all? And so John's aim is to reassure the people who have stayed behind. You really do know God. You really do have eternal life. And actually, those guys that left are dangerous frauds. Uh, today's passage is a, another big part of the argument. You'll see that little poem that it ends with in verses 12 to 14. That's the end of the first big section of 1 John that we saw last week started in chapter 1, verse 5. The section breaks in 2, 1, 5 to 2, 2. We looked at last week lots of language about sin and forgiveness. And we saw you can, you can tell if people are authentic by what they say about sin and by whether they're relying on Jesus and his death for the forgiveness of sins. If they are, that's good. And if they're not, they're frauds. Now today is another little test in a way. We can tell if someone's authentic by the way that they live. Do they love God's people as Jesus did? Or do they not? And if they do, that's good. And if they don't, that's bad. We've got three headings. You can see them on the sheet. And if you're a, a clock watcher, don't worry. Uh, the third heading is really just a conclusion, as you'll see by the time we get there. First, though, the real world is that the light shines in the darkness. Um, that language I'm taking from the end of verse 8, it's the backdrop to the whole passage, really. You'll see, John says, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now, if I ask the, the question, what's the difference between the world and God? You'll know that there are loads of answers. One of them is in terms of light and darkness. Um, John mentioned uh, a verse that was the foundation to last week's passage, chapter 1, verse 5, where it said, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. That is, he is completely pure. He is perfect in every way. You won't find even a trace of evil in him. But the world is very different. Uh, verse 8 of chapter 2 says what we know all too well. The world is a mixture. There is light and there is darkness. There is good and there is evil. There is right and there is wrong. But notice that the relationship between light and darkness in verse 8, it's not like there's a, a cosmic battle going on, these two opposing forces against each other, and we're not sure who the winner's going to be. The darkness, says John, is on the way out. It's been defeated. It's passing away. But the true, the triumphant light is already shining. Uh, darkness speaks of our world in opposition to God. 
In the, the Bible, darkness is a place of moral confusion because the, the light of God is absent. You can't see where you're going, and so we stumble and fall. It's a place of evil because when it's dark, we can presume that no one can see what we're doing, so there's less accountability. It's a place of condemnation, therefore, because Jesus says he will drive the wicked away from him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that's our our world apart from Jesus. We're, We're natural lovers of the darkness even. We think we know what we're doing as a race, but really we're lost in confusion, in evil, in sin, in condemnation. Do you remember the the great hope that Isaiah proclaims in one of the passages that we often read at Christmas? He says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, that on those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us, he says, a child is born, the one who is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. And so light is about hope. Uh, Light is about the presence and the goodness of God. It's about salvation. It's about living well. Supremely, of course, it's about Jesus himself. And that's who is on John's mind as he says, the true light is already shining. Jesus had said, I am the light of the world as we've been thinking all morning. And John's gospel tells us that the world didn't receive the light. The world didn't love the light. But neither could the the world overcome the light. In fact, through his death, Jesus conquered the darkness. And then for as many as believe in him, he delivers us, the Bible tells us, from the domain of darkness and brings us into his own glorious kingdom of light and love. So I was thinking it's a bit like a torch. I don't know if you've ever had one of those high-powered torches, um, LED, with an adjustable beam so that it starts really, really narrow, but then it can be adjusted and broadened out so that more and more things are brought into its light. Well, Jesus is the light of the world, but now through his work, the light isn't confined to Jesus alone. There are others who are in the light with him, others who by believing in him and being united to him in faith, become children of the light and live in the light and walk in the light. It's going to have all sorts of implications for the way that we live. Paul will say in Ephesians, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk, therefore, as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. He says, take no part in unfruitful works of darkness. And that's why John's about to say that you can tell an awful lot about someone by looking at the way that they live. Is is my life marked by the deeds of darkness or by the fruit of light? But before we get to that, there's there's a point to register about how we view the world. Um, even as Josh prayed, we were thinking along the same lines, that there is a day coming when there will be a final separation. Final chapter of the the Bible speaks of a time when night will be no more. 
And God's people will need no light or lamp or sun because the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. And that day is coming. But until that day, light and darkness are going to sit side by side and coexist in the world. Not two equal opposite forces. The victory's won. The darkness is passing away. The true light is already shining. But we should expect there to be light and darkness around us, not just in the world. Here's the shocking thing. You should even expect to find pockets of darkness within the visible church. We should expect from time to time to come across people who claim to know God and to walk in the light, but in reality they're darkness people. You'll find preachers and teachers who say they follow Jesus, but they're frauds. Kind of appropriate whilst talking about light and darkness that I was blinded by the sunlight, uh, and thank you to those who closed the blinds so that I can at least have some hope of seeing my notes. Let's move on to our second point. This is how to spot the fraud. The real church is the family of light and love. Now, there's a, there's a truly terrible TV show at the moment. We had the misfortune of turning it on and seeing a couple of minutes uh, just recently. Maybe if it's your favorite show, I apologize for the things I'm about to say about it. It's called I Can See Your Voice. Do you watch it? No, that is good. Uh, so six, um, you've gone up in my estimations. It features six mystery singers who try and convince you that they're good singers, uh, when in reality only a few of them are. And uh, they lip sync to try and persuade you that they're good singers and they dance and they're interviewed. Uh, But the game is to try and work out who's good and who's bad before they start singing. Uh, Please don't look it up. Honestly, life is too short ever to watch the program again. But you do find yourself looking for clues. How do you tell who is a fake and who's real? In in 1 John, it, it actually matters Just track this through for a second. If Jesus is the light, and if you want to be a part of his kingdom of light, and if you want to enjoy all of the blessings that are found in the light, then the last thing you want to do is to end up following a teacher who turns out to be a darkness person. Because you'll listen and follow and think you're walking in the light when really you're being led into deeper and deeper darkness. So how do you spot the difference? Uh, The headline is there in verse 3. By this, we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. It's not the only test of authenticity in the letter, what we believe about Jesus, about sin, his death on the cross, was huge last week. But belief and behavior will go hand in hand. And the way we know... If we or anyone else, including those that are teaching us, have come to know God for real, is if we're people who keep his commandments. Now, none of us are ever going to do it perfectly. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But what is the the basic direction of my life? Am I heading towards God and a life of obedience? Or am I turning my back on him and embracing a life of disobedience. I think of it as whose team am I on? 
Uh, say a, a footballer moves from one team, Southampton, let's say, to play for another team, Newcastle, uh, as one of Matty's great heroes, Alan Shearer, did once uh, upon a time, a long time ago. If that happens, then his life is going to change. Uh, where he lives will change, the kit he wears will change, and from then on he would devote his energies to helping Newcastle win, obviously, instead of Southampton. If ever the two teams play against each other, he's not going to turn up in Southampton kit and pass the ball to Southampton players and try to score for them. He's going to do everything he can to help Newcastle win. It doesn't mean he's going to play perfectly. He'll still make mistakes. But when he does, he'll pick himself back up and he'll try even harder to do well for Newcastle. Well, so it is going to be with those who know God. Because we belong to the light now, not to darkness. And true preachers, true believers, will live like it. That's the headline. John follows it up with three whoever says statements that tell us more about how to distinguish the true from the false. They come in verse 4, if you glance down, and in 6 and in 9, and we're going to look at them quickly. First in verse 4, whoever says, I know God but doesn't keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. And I think if John was preaching this to the church to whom he was writing, at this point you could imagine him putting a photograph of the people who have left the church up on his PowerPoint, and he would be pointing at them when he says, whoever says that I know God, but doesn't keep his commandments, is a liar and the truth is not in them. And then he would stop and point very deliberately at the remainers in front of him, and he would say, but whoever keeps God's word, in him truly is the love of God perfected. And again, it won't be about perfection, but about direction. Which team am I playing for? Is it the, it doesn't really matter if I keep God's commandments team, or is it the, God is light, so of course I want to obey him team. And if we keep God's word, truly, says John, the love of God is perfected in us. That means our love, uh, the, our love for God comes to fruition. It comes to completion as we obey him. Um, think of a dad who asks his child to do something, and the child says, Dad, of course I'll do what you've asked me to do because I love you. That is what children say all of the time when you ask them to do something. Well, you'll see it's, it's one thing to say that you love your dad, but your love is going to be expressed. It's going to reach its fulfillment. It's going to achieve its full potential when you obey him. The words on their own are just like an, an outline of love, a promise. It's filled in. It's fleshed out. It's colored in by your actions. And that's what it's like with your love for your father in heaven. It's impossible to have an authentic relationship with him while actively and persistently ignoring his will and playing for the I do whatever I want whenever I want team. Uh, the next one's at the end of verse 5. By this we know that we are in God. Whoever says he abides in Jesus ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Uh, abiding in God, abiding in Jesus comes up 10 times in the letter. It seems to be another claim that the leavers were making. We're the people who really abide in God. They're saying, not you. 
And John says, to test that claim, here's what you ask. Are they walking in the way that Jesus walked? And obviously that's not about stride pattern, it's about the the pattern of his life. Jesus who denied himself, Jesus who obeyed his father, Jesus who loved the people around him. And John would point to the photo of the leavers and say, well, that's not how they walked, is it? And then he'd look back to the church and he'd say, but you do. I know you don't do it perfectly. I know there are people you find difficult. At times you get it wrong. But your basic direction in life is that you deny yourself and you take up your cross and you follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Your, your life aim is to love God and to love your neighbor. And that proves that you truly abide in Christ. The third and final, whoever says, is in verse 9, but the build-up starts in 7. Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. First, it seems contradictory, doesn't it? Is this a new commandment or not? The answer is yes, it's both. It's old in the sense that it's the same message that they've been hearing ever since day one of their Christian life. It's new because Jesus gave new depth to an Old Testament word when he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. And the thing to register carefully is that the chief hallmark of the true church is love. We've seen this a number of times as a church family recently in our studies in different parts of God's word. Earnest, sincere, sacrificial, cross-shaped love. We love God with our heart. We love our neighbor as ourselves. The Apostle Paul, love is the fulfillment of the law. John If you want to spot the difference between true and false claims to know God, look at the way we treat God's family. Verse 9, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And again, it's about the leavers. They might say they're walking in the light, but they are darkness people. They're walking around blinded and stumbling. The proof is that they hate you. Uh, It's extreme language. It might sound almost unrealistic at first. Could they really hate them? Uh, We tend to think of a spectrum, don't we? There's really loving people at one end and really unloving people at the other, and most of us are somewhere in the middle. With John in his writings, it's always binary. There's light, there's darkness, there's God, there's the devil, there's truth, there's lies, there is love, and there is hate. And you are in one team or the other. Uh, He asks in chapter 3, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And again, it seems that those leavers were were closing their hearts to the people they'd left behind. They were refusing to help them. And John says, well, the settled, the persistent refusal to love your brothers and sisters would prove that you're on team hate. 
Again, no suggestion we're going to love everybody perfectly all of the time. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But what's the basic posture of my heart towards God's people? Is it open because I want to love them and help them to know God better? Or is it closed because I hate them? And John's saying to his readers, I know you. You don't hate God's people. You love them. And that's a sure sign you're abiding in God's light. Be reassured. Contrast that with the leavers. Um, there have been times when I've sat in meetings uh, over the years listening to people who maybe used to believe what the, the Bible says but who claim that they've moved on from it or people, teachers who are describing things that the Bible teaches about what we're meant to believe about God, about how we're meant to live in God's world. And as they've described those positions that that I hold personally very dearly, it's been absolutely clear that they hate them. Someone said, I have no personal animosity towards you, but I hate what you stand for. I hate what you believe. And if you ever to read the comments and threats that people get online, uh, even from people who say that they're Christians, if they try and contend for truths that are clearly taught in the Bible, then maybe this hate word doesn't sound so extreme after all. And John's saying of the leavers, their team hate because the real church is a family of light and love. And that brings us to our third point, really just a conclusion. We're going to look more at verses 12 to 14 next week, but they, they get to the heart of John's aim. He wants his readers to know that they know God. That's what he said in chapter 2, verse 3. Or if you flick over to, as we've done once before, to chapter 5, verse 13, you'll see he, he has no doubt that his readers believe in the name of the Son of God, but he wants them to know that they have eternal life. So as I read from verse 12, just listen to the confidence that he's trying to instill in them. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, uh, I think that's people who are older than him in the congregation, men and women, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, younger people, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, everybody, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. It's a big reminder that we need to use our verses this morning in the way that John intended and not in the way that he didn't. Um, a friend tells the story of staying in a holiday home with a group of people and agreeing to cook chili for everyone on the first night, only to discover that the house didn't have a can opener. Uh, after a bit of a panic, they solved their dilemma by using a potato peeler with a repeated stabbing motion and managed to get the tin open, which was fine until the next night when someone was trying to cook mashed potatoes and discovered that all that was left was a sort of mangled mess of metal. It's obvious. You've got to use the right equipment for the right purpose. But what often happens with these verses is that you might read verse 3 and you think, hang on, I don't, especially if you're of 
more tender conscience. I don't keep God's commandments absolutely perfectly all of the time. That must mean that I don't know God. And then you read verse 4 and you think, hang on, that must be me. I am a liar and the truth is not in me. And so we take verses that are meant to reassure people who are holding on to the apostles' teaching and who are trying to love Jesus and walk in his light. And we use the same verses to unsettle ourselves, the exact opposite of what John intended. It's not about being perfect. None of us are. Of course this isn't a license to then go and live in darkness. If that's what you're doing this morning, then God would call you back to the light. We need to flee from the darkness and walk in the light. But none of us are perfect. We know that. John knows that. The question is, whose team am I on? What's the basic, what's the settled desire of my heart? Do I want to reject God's commands, hate his people, or do I want to please God and love his people? If that's you, then these things are true of you this morning. Your sins have been forgiven. You know God. In Christ, you you have overcome the devil. You know God the Father. You're strong. And the word of God abides in you. I'm not in the habit of reciting affirmations to myself each morning in the mirror. Maybe you are, if you are. These would be great things to recite. Not about how beautiful you are. Not about how wonderful your prospects are. Not about how you're going to succeed in everything. But I know the Father... In Christ, I have victory. The word abides in me. I have eternal life. Because in the gospel, as it was originally taught by the apostles, is where we come to know God and where we find eternal life and fellowship with him. Let's pray together. Our Father, we want to thank and to praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ, the light of the world. We want to thank you that if we've come to know him, we are children of the light and we walk in the light. And we want to pray that you would help us to, uh, to do that where there are pockets in our own lives where we're embracing darkness and disobeying your word with a high hand and uh, hating your people in our hearts. We pray that you would forgive us and have mercy upon us and transform us. But we would pray that you would help us to, uh, as we set our heart's direction, to walk in the light, to love you, to love your people, to obey your commands, and to follow in our Christian lives those who are teachers and livers of the truth, those who walk in the light, those who obey you. And we pray it for Jesus' name's sake. Amen.